so nice to see you all here this morning. If I haven't not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Kendall, and I am a part of the leadership team here at Easter Ridge Church. And today I get the honor of bringing you guys the message this morning. And thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and um, as I was preparing this week, it was a little crazy because I was like, oh, man, this is the last Sunday of 2019, if you follow that calendar. But <laughs> I know here it's always like, if you're on that calendar, then happy this Sunday. If you're not, then happy whatever number. It, sorry. <laughs> if you don't follow the, the Ferengi calendar, then Malcolm Genna <laughs> soon-ish. Um, I just keep my tree up for all of January in case I miss any other Christmases from other cultures. I just want to be respectful, you know. Yeah, Keep it up for my birthday. If I can put it up for Jesus' birthday, I can put it up for mine, right? <laughs> uh, but good morning. It's so nice to see you guys here. And um, yeah, we're going to look at God's word this morning. You guys doing good? Yeah. You guys are definitely more awake than the first service. They were like, huh? What's happening? <laughs> so um, this morning, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about something that the Lord has been really teaching me and challenging me with in the last, probably last six months of this year, and I have the feeling it's going to be a theme for me going into 2020, and that is uh, loving God's people well um, and loving them when it's hard, and just all around, he's been teaching me about his love and how that is supposed to replicate itself in my love and how I can love other people uh, better. And so I, had a, I have a brief story I want to show you, tell you guys about. I have a new friend. She's become a really good friend of mine. And she's a newer uh, member here at Eastridge. And she's not here today, but I have her permission to share this story because it happened during a personal lunch. And I didn't want her to be like, what? <laughs> Talking about me up front? But um, so we had lunch probably about a month or two months ago. And at this time, she had only been coming to Eastridge maybe one or two weeks. And so we got together to meet up for lunch, and we're talking, and I'm asking her about, like, how she felt when she, how she found Eastridge and how she felt when she first came here. And so this friend of mine, she's from Kenya, but she's here doing, like, a, a fellowship thing for a couple years. And when she first landed in Addis, she's a believer, and so she was looking for a church to call her church home and to find community. And so she visited a few places, but she just hadn't quite found her place yet. And then she came into Eastridge, and the word she said just really struck me. She said, when I walked into Eastridge, I felt seen. And so she had talked about when she went into these other churches, they were, they, some of them were bigger, some of them were smaller, but she just felt like... Uh, no one really greeted her. No one really looked her in the eye. and It made her feel a little invisible. And if anyone in here isn't from Addis and you've had to come here from maybe your home country for work or family or whatever, or maybe you are Ethiopian, you've grown up in Addis, and maybe you've gone other places, and so you've traveled or maybe you've changed jobs, and you know that that transition of going to a new place, you can go through a season of feeling invisible almost and feeling unseen. And so when you encounter someone who actually sees you, and takes the time to greet you and to know you. That was her experience here at Eastridge, which for me, being part of the being the leader of the hospitality team, I'm like, yes, good job, Malaku and and Marone and all of our hospitality people. That's amazing. That she walked in here and she felt seen. She was greeted with a smile and a hug from people she had never even known before, like never even met, and it made her feel the love of God immediately, and it made her feel seen, which was so so important to her. And so after that conversation, I was just kind of meditating on that idea of, of loving someone by seeing them, like seeing them for who they really are, 
uh, seeing them by stopping your day to take time and let them be in front of your face and just seeing them and seeing their soul and learning their character, that's really powerful. And that's the way that God loves us, you know? And so it also, if you know me really well, you know I love movies. Like, I love, I love movies. I love movies so much that I minored in film when I went to college because I thought maybe I might want to make a documentary one day. Haven't yet, but... Maybe, maybe Pastor Doug will let me do it in a T-Rex suit, and then I can show it to you guys. <laughs> but um, so one of me and my daughter, my daughter is down here today um, hanging out with me, and one of our favorite movies is Avatar. And um, I love how these alien creatures, I'm not really sure what the political correct term is for them, but they, they live on another planet, and I love the way that they greet one another. They don't say, oh, like... Hey, Carrie, how you doing? It's good to see you. <laughs> no, they walk up to each other and they say, Carrie, I see you. And then she would respond, I see you. And so when I looked up, when I was thinking of this whole concept of seeing people, I looked up what the writers of this movie meant by that term, I see you. And so what they meant was it's actually deeper than saying I love you. It's saying that I, I see you in front of me physically, but I see you and I recognize you spiritually, and I, I recognize the connection between us, and I'm stopping my day for this moment to see you and greet you. And now we can go in conversation. Now we can go about our day. And for me, that's just, it's really beautiful and really powerful, and I just feel like that's how God is with us. He's like, I see you. And I know your past, and I know your present, and I know your future, and I see you, and I love you. And he sent his son for us. Isn't that good? And so um, that's what God, like that's the, some of the stuff that God's been teaching. So this morning we're going to talk about love, but not just love, but loving by seeing people, by knowing them, um, and then loving them, even be taking it beyond that seeing, knowing, and loving them even more, and loving them replicating God's love. So before we pray, let's first turn to 1 Corinthians 13, um, because when I think of uh, of love and loving God's people and, and, and how I should love, they, this chapter is the first chapter that comes to my mind. And I've been studying this, and I feel like literally every time I open it, I feel like in a different way, God, God kind of slaps me upside the head. And so I wanted you guys to feel some of that pain this morning. <laughs> so it's going to be up on the screens as well. We're re I'm reading out of the um, New Living Translation this morning. Um, but if you don't have your Bible, you can follow up on the screens. And so let's read this. It says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become use useless, but love will last forever. 
Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, those partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. <clears throat> and I feel like the, this chapter um, on love is incredibly, incredibly powerful. You know, sometimes as believers, we are seeking these spiritual gifts. God, let me, uh, let me have the prophetic gift. Let me have amazing faith. God, let me do amazing things for people who have been marginalized or, or um, who have had huge injustice in their life. But if you do all those things, you could prophesy until you're blue in the face, but if you are not loving God's people, you will have done nothing. And that is so important. Love must be the foundation from which we do all of the things of God. And if we aren't, and if it isn't our foundation, we have wasted our time. And that for me is a little bit terrifying. It's a little bit terrifying for me to think, oh man, I I, I could get up here and preach on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and, and I've left my home country and left my family and moved my daughter across the world, but if I'm not loving God's people, I've wasted my time. And so that's why this morning I wanted to talk to you guys about love, and I wanted to challenge you on this last Sunday of 2019 um, on love. I know some of you are going to be preparing for the week of prayer and fasting, and you're thinking, man, what, what, what should I be fasting about? What should I be praying about? And maybe, just maybe, it might also be what I will be praying about is love. And how can I do that better? So let's pray. God, I praise you. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you that you continue to love us with an unfailing love, God. I thank you that your love never loses hope and it has never given up on us. God, I pray over every single heart in this space that, Holy Spirit, you will come, that your presence will be felt in here, and that no one would leave this place having not heard from you today, Lord. God, help me as I deliver the word message you've given me. And we just give you all the honor and all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, talking about love, and when I think of, especially when I think of loving in terms of seeing other people, um, there's one specific story in the Bible that really, really resonates with me, and it's incredibly personal to my heart. And so we're going to spend time this morning in John chapter 4, and we're going to be reading the story of the Samaritan woman at the well and just kind of unpacking and looking at her interaction with Jesus um, and just the way that he saw her and showed that he knew her and loved her. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 4. And we're going to start with verse 1. And it says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. 
Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sichar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So let's pause right there for a moment and go back to uh, verse number four. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Um, I'm going to ask Peter. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> There's a map up here if you want to turn your attention to the front. And so this journey wasn't a journey that was unfamiliar to the Jewish people. They would journey from uh, Jerusalem up to Galilee on a regular basis, but they didn't go typically the way that Jesus went. So Jews would typically travel that curved direction, and they would purposefully not go through Samaria. So there was a shorter route that would take them from Judea to Galilee, um, but it would make, cause them to have to go through Samaria. But the Jews and the Samaritans didn't exactly see eye to eye on a few things. So in order for the Jews to not have anything to do with the Samaritans, like they, didn't, they so much didn't want to have anything to do with them that they would go like, I'm going to add extra time to my journey just so I don't have to like, even deal with that situation over there. Um, and so thank you for making that bigger, Peter. Um, and so you can see that uh, Jesus, on this particular day, chose to purposefully go through Samaria. And so a little bit of background on this uh, Jew and Samaritan uh, conflict a little bit, if you're unfamiliar with it, uh, was that the Samaritans were formerly Jews, and they resided in the northern kingdom of Israel. But around 700 BC, the Assyrian army overtook the northern kingdom, and those Jews who were left there intermarried with the pagans who took over, um, and they began to also, they worshiped God, but they also worshiped idols. So they were like a little bit Jewish, but also a little bit pagans. And so to them, for the rest of the Jewish people, it just made them uh, like some of the worst of the worst, basically. Jews were like, we worship the one true God, and that's a whole mess of a situation happening right there. So we're just not even going to have anything to do with you, was basically how the Jews treated the Samaritans. They had nothing uh, to do with one another, and they worshiped in two different places. And so this journey that Jesus took from Judea to Galilee, going purposely through Samaria, was not the typical route that Jews would have done. But I love the way that the word says that Jesus left to go to, Judea, go to Galilee from Judea, but he had to go through Samaria. And so this, to me, just symbolizes how much Jesus was in tune with the will of the Father. Jesus didn't, like, he wasn't just on his merrily little, merry little, merry little way saying, oh, you know, I think I'll just happen to go. He was on a mission. It was on purpose. He knew that he had to go through Samaria. And he purposely went there just to love on and see one specific person. And when we read later, you'll see that him loving this one specific person opened up a whole entire village of Samaritan people. Um, and so I, in my personal life, I just think, man, sometimes I'm like, I leave my house, I get in the car, and I'm like, okay, if I, I just got to get to Bole so I can do my ministry and love on our church people. And then I just got to get to the coffee house so I can meet with this one person. And I just got to get here so I can, and we're so busy worried about where we're trying to get to. But Jesus, he had made time on his journey to love people along the way. And this is just the one that we got a record of. But I have to think that Jesus was loving people along the way on purpose, what would our day look like if instead of just getting in your car saying, okay, let me just get to work so I can do what I need to do, what would happen if you were like, you know what? Yes, I need to go to work or I need to go to the grocery store or I need to drop my kids off at school, but we're going 
We're going to take a taxi because maybe there might be a taxi driver who we come in contact with that might need some love from the Lord today. Maybe you need to run an errand, and I know it's a city with a lot of traffic and you're trying to get across town, but maybe you intentionally open up your schedule one day to say, you know what, I can go to a grocery store that I could walk to so that maybe there might be someone on the journey that the Holy Spirit might need me to witness to. Maybe there might need to be someone at a souk nearby my house that just needs the love of Jesus. And it doesn't always mean that we're going out to witness and tell people about Jesus. Sometimes it means we're just smiling and opening up our lives, opening up our hearts to relationship with people. And through that, they can, they can come to know Jesus just through that. There are people in your life that you walk by, uh, that you drive past every day. If you just interacted with them a little bit, it would show them that they are seen. This is something that I struggle with sometimes driving across town, and there's so many beggars and so many homeless people on the streets. And I'm like, Lord, help me to not just roll up my windows and put my head down because I feel like I'm not safe or I feel like something might happen or someone might steal my phone or something might happen to my daughter. But you know what? No, God, I trust you. And so maybe this person who's coming up begging, maybe I can't physically give them money, but, man, I can just interact with them for a little bit with the little bit of broken heart I have. It's very bad, y'all. I can just greet, and that's it, and then I just drive away. <laughs> what might happen if we weren't just concerned about getting somewhere every single day, but we allow and we opened up God's, or we opened up our whole journey, our whole day to say, Holy Spirit, you know what? I can be so in a rush to get where I need to go that I completely miss people on the journey. And so I love this example from Jesus, how he was open to the will of God. Man, you have no idea. There might be one person that you begin to react, re, re, uh, interact with on your journey to work or to school or wherever. Maybe there's one person you start to interact with. Maybe a year from now they come to Jesus and it opens up a whole other part of Ethiopia that hasn't come to know Jesus. It can open up a whole new part of the city that, that, hasn't, that isn't interacting with the love of God. Through one, loving one person, a whole entire village became open to the love of Jesus. We have to open our eyes, though, and allow the Holy Spirit to give us spiritual vision that will help us to really see people. And so let's keep reading. We're going to start at verse number six. So Jesus, he's, uh, he had to go through Samaria. He gets to the village, and it says, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If only you knew the gift God had for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir... You don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer me better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give, I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. 
Go and get your husband, uh, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman said. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Scandalous. (laughs) Who needs soap operas when you can just read the Bible? (laughs) Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim? I'm sorry, I know I just butchered that. Pastor Doug will tell you guys how to pronounce it next week. Or the week after that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Where our ancestors worship. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship, who worship, worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. He, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And so I know that was a lot of, a lot of scripture, but we're going to back up a little bit. Um, and first, we're going to look at the verse number six, because there's a time setting here that I want you guys to pay attention to. Um, so it says in verse number six that, uh, that Jesus was sitting by the well, and it was about noontime. And so noontime is not typically the time of day that you would go to the well, because it's hot, like real, real hot. And... So you would typically go early in the morning, later in the evening as the sun is setting. It's not typically the time of day that people would be at the well. Hence the reason that Jesus was there alone and she was there alone. And so just based off the fact that she chose noontime to get her water, and you get the feeling that this was typically the time where she would go to, get water, to draw water from the well, the Samaritan, this Samaritan woman was not just an outcast from the Jewish society because she was Samaritan, but she was also an outcast within her own community. I mean, the woman had had five husbands, and she was now staying with a man who was not her husband. How many wives in here would, like, kind of hold your husband a little bit tighter if she was around? I know some of y'all lying. <laughs> I know some of y'all would do it. It's okay. <laughs> if I had a husband, I would too. I'd be like, girl, no. Um, like, you can't be friends with her. No, just kidding. I wouldn't do that. But um, she was an outcast even within her own community. And so if you're someone in here and you've ever felt, uh, if you've ever gone through a season or maybe you are in it now where you feel like an outcast, you feel invisible, you feel unseen, you feel alone, um, if you've ever gone through seasons like that, there are probably, there's probably something in your life or a place you go to, uh, um, something like a, a rhythm that you have in your life that for some reason is like a trigger for you. I'll explain. For me, um, I'm a single mom. I had my daughter when I was 20, so I was really young, and um, I wasn't married. But my daughter and I, we love, we love going places. We love, um, like, going to the parks and stuff. So when she was little, she was like a toddler. I loved, like, I wanted to be able to take her to the park. Or there were little, like, mommy and me things or family events that were happening around the city, and I wanted to take her to those. But I started to find out that those things for me were huge triggers uh, for my anxiety and for my depression and huge triggers for me um, to feel isolated and very alone and, fe- and feeling outcast. It was hard for me being a single mom, 
having had a child outside of marriage, to go into these settings where there were all these families and all these couples, and these couples were with their other couple friends, and it felt like no couple friends wanted to be friends with a young single mom, and, and I felt really alone, and that became a trigger for me, for Satan to come in and be like, hey, so just, so, just, just in case you forgot, yeah, you're all alone and no one even cares about you. Um, and uh, none of these people wanted to be your friends because they're all couples, and they don't want to... You're all alone. And also, you don't even fit in here. And so it was a huge trigger for me. And so if you've ever been in that season, I'm sure you've had, there are different things that can happen that can make you just feel like, that's right, I don't fit in here. I'm an outcast. Um, I have to think that possibly for this Samaritan woman, that trigger could have been just simple task of getting water from the well. Maybe all the other wives and women in the village, they would get together in the morning and they're chit-chatting and talking about their families and blah, 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 and they're all going to the well together. And maybe her having had the past that she had, having had the struggles that she had, I mean, we don't know why she, why she had five husbands. We don't know if they all died or if we don't, we don't know the whole story. But um, it could have been that that time that was typically a community time of getting water and being with the village, it became a really, really hard time for her. So much so that she had to change her whole routine just to have a little bit of peace to be by herself to get water at noontime. It could have been that it was at the well where the women would gossip about her or they would stare at her or maybe they didn't want to be near her at all. And so she maybe changed her routine and said, you know what, I'll go the hottest part of the day because I would rather endure the hot sun and be alone than to endure the pain of feeling all those people staring at me or talking to me or, or acting as if I'm not even there. And so it's really interesting that Jesus told, chose this time in the middle of this task to come and offer her living water. And I love her response that, um, that she begins to think of of, of the water in, in the physical sense. Um, and she begins to think of, well, yeah, pl- please give me water so I don't have to be thirsty again because I do not want to come to this well by myself anymore and deal with these people and feel alone and feel like an outcast. I can just stay in my house and I never have to drink water again. Please, Jesus, give me this water. Because <laughs> I'm like, I would totally, yeah, yeah, I don't want to be around that either. Um, but Jesus, she's totally unaware that, yes, you have a physical need of thirst, but there is a deep spiritual need within her of thirst as well. And I love how Jesus begins to speak to that. And so in verse 14, um, and I also love that it's this strange Jewish man coming to offer her living water where she's like, why would you even, inter- why would you even interact with me? And so in verse 14, Jesus says, I have water to give you that will become a spring bubbling with eternal life. And the use of eternal life here means a new quality of life infused with God's eternal love, a life that can begin now and last into the future. This is a powerful encounter, and she has no idea that Jesus is getting ready to not even change change her situation right now, but he's getting ready to change her eternity, offering her that living water where she'll never thirst again. And so I have to think to myself, um, I I wonder if at this point when Jesus offers her this living water, um, she's probably like, yeah, this sounds good. But she, I wonder if she began to think, if this man only knew me, like, yeah, he's standing in front of me. He sees me um, somewhat, 
well, he's interacting with her, which maybe there wasn't a lot of people interacting with her in this village. But so Jesus is interacting with her. He sees her. But I bet she's beginning to think, man, if this man only really knew me, if he knew my past, if he knew um, my sin struggle, if he knew my situation, if he knew how, how no one in the village wanted to deal with me, if he knew how I was an outcast, if he really knew me, he would not want to offer me this, living, this amazing living water where I would never thirst again. But then Jesus totally blows that out of the water by saying, now go get your husband. <laughs> and she's like, I don't have a husband. And so this, this whole interaction with her saying, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you're right. You don't. You've had five. Shows that Jesus not even saw her, but he knew her. It revealed him as a prophet. And she recognizes that. But he doesn't take back his offer of living water just because he shows, he shows, yeah, I know your past, but guess what? I still offer you living water. I'm still offering you eternal life, and I still see you, and I still know you, and I'm still here loving you. And it's so, so incredibly powerful. I just, um, I just have to think, like, in our lives, in our day-to-day, as we begin to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Help me to see people in my everyday that I may not have seen. Help me to see people who I pass on the street who may need your love. I begin to wonder what might happen once we begin to, inter- in- begin to interact with these people and relationships begin to form, even within this family here. What may begin to happen when you begin to learn those really, really hard things about people? You know, the Holy Spirit, he totally can give you a word of knowledge and reveal something about someone. He has the power to do that. I've been praying for people, and it's been before, and it's been like, uh, I just know because the Holy Spirit is telling me, witnessing to me as I'm praying for them, like they're struggling with loneliness or they're struggling with father issues and stuff like that. But it's not always the case. But for sure, when you're in relationship with people, and as I begin to open my life to people and open my eyes and my heart, I will learn things about someone. So how will we, as a family, as a body of believers, how will we begin to react when we start to learn the really hard stuff? What will you do if you say, okay, Lord, open my eyes. And the Lord says, there's a person who sits next to you in church every Sunday who needs the love of Jesus. And you're like, okay, I'm going to start to interact with this person because um, I, I thought maybe they were a believer, but I guess not. And so I'm going to interact with them. What, what would you do if you find out that that person, is, that person is an addict and they're struggling still with addictions to this day and they're still coming to church and still trying to, how will you react then when you begin to learn those hard things? How will you react if you learn that, um, Someone is continually having sex outside of marriage, but they're trying to they're 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 trying to build a relationship with you. And how you react when you find out um, those really really hard, challenging things about people? It can be easy at that point to say, "Ooh, okay, that's a little bit too much for me." Um, Jesus loves you, and goodbye. We're human beings. It can be really hard, easy for us to do that. It can be hard for, easy for us to withdraw that love, to stop seeing that person just because what you begin to find out was not really what you were feeling. <coughs> I remember being um, uh, back in the States in Baltimore at my daughter's school, and um, I was trying to make some mom friends. It's always been a little hard for me because typically the moms are a lot older than me. But uh, I remember being at a, in, in her classroom at an event, and I was connecting with this mom, and I'm like, man, this is awesome. Like, 
I'm going to have a mom friend. And, and for me, I'm also like, and she's not a believer, so maybe I get to witness to her. And I'm like, yes. And so we're, we're interacting. And for some reason, like an idiot, I decided, like the, I, the, the topic of my age came up. Don't know why, but I was like, at the time, I think I may have been like 24, 25. Cam was really, really young. And the lady like, ooh, you're really young. And I tell you, I, guys, she did not talk to me anymore after that day. And it was just my age. And so we can really easily hear something that we're not expecting and immediately be like, okay, I can no longer relate to this person, so I'm just going to back away. So how will you act and behave when, you, when, when the Holy Spirit or the person reveals those hard things? Will you still choose to see them? Will you still choose to get to know them? And will you still choose to share the love of Jesus with them? Because the fact that this woman had had five husbands, um, was an outcast in her society, was a Samaritan, didn't stop Jesus from loving her and giving her and offering her eternal life. And this was the person that he chose to reveal that he was the Messiah. It was one of the first times in Scripture where Jesus himself had said, I am the Messiah. He didn't choose to go to the holiest person who believed in God their whole life, whose family was a family of believers. He chose to go to an outcast Samaritan woman who had had five, five husbands and did it alone at that. How scandalous. Oh, we haven't gotten to that part yet. Well, yeah, he was alone with her. <laughs> you know, this is when um, those, those parts of 1 Corinthians 13 kind of comes back to me where it talks about, it's, it lists off in 1 in, in Corinthians 13, it says um, that love is not jealous, it's not boastful, but it also says love does not demand its own way, which can mean multiple things, but one of the basic things that it means is that you can't demand to love someone in a way that you want to love them and expect them to want to receive that love. Are you loving people in a way that they will actually receive it? Are you speaking their love language? Are you being open with how you love people? And love also, uh, it does, it is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice. It, it, when, when injustice wins, it also never gives up, never loses faith, and is always hopeful. So when you are encountering people whose lives are very different from yours, whose sin struggles are very different from yours, and it's shocking to you, guess what? God's love never loses hope. You may be witnessing and opening up your life to people and have spent years doing it, and they may never, ever actually accept Christ. But God's love never gives up. We are not a people who give up on people. We are not a people who lose hope on people. We are not a people that stops fighting for people. Because every single person on this planet is God's child. And so we are to see people. We are to open up our lives to them. We are to build relationship with them. And especially when it gets really, really hard, we are not to give up on them. We are not to lose hope in them. Especially if our love is to replicate that of God's because he's never, ever, ever given up hope on any of you and he's never, ever, ever stopped loving y'all. So let's keep reading. Let's look at verse 27. So Jesus has just revealed himself. He says, I am the Messiah. 
And then it says, just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? Again, I just love the disciples are like, oh, he made a stop in this village. And now he's talking to a woman alone. What's going on here? And then the, water, the woman left her water jug beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Yes, because he just told you he was. Anyway, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing the work. You know the saying, from finishing his work, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvest. It's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant uh, where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. And so I love this. The disciples come back, and, and they're like, well, he was tired. Does he need a snack? I mean, he's talking to this woman by himself. What's going on? And he says, I have a nourishment that comes. I have a nourishment that you know nothing about, and it comes from doing the will of the Father. Jesus traveled through Samaria doing the will of the Father, it was God's will that this woman be encounter the Messiah on that specific day at that time. That this village would be changed because of Jesus being there. That was God's will. And it was nourishment to him. He said, it says in here, um, what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester. That the harvest is ripe. He came and, and, and got the harvest of that woman at just the right time. The harvest fields in Addis are ripe. It is so important that you guys take what you get here and that you take the love of Jesus and that you take the power of God out into the streets and out into the community with you because God is going to reap, he's going to get a harvest out in those streets. And it is time and it's ready. But we have to be in the posture and in a place to, to be open to receiving that. We have to be seeing God's people on a regular basis. We have to be in relationship with all of his people and not just ones that are already believers. He said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of the Father. And for me, this reminds me of one of my favorite verses in Proverbs 11:25. It says that those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Those who, those who see other people will themselves be seen. Those who take the time to build relationship and to get to know, genuinely know people, will themselves get to be known. Those who love others will themselves be loved. Those who, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Sometimes we are terrible, terrible multitaskers, most of the time. We think like, oh, I, I got to get myself together and then I have to love, then I can love other people. But if I'm, not in a, if I'm not in a healthy season and I feel like I'm in need and I feel like I need someone to love me, I can't go out of my way to love that person on the street. I'm exhausted and no one's loving me. That's sometimes how we love. 
That is not how God loves. He is an incredible multitasker. And you would be surprised if you went out of your way to love someone, regardless of what season you're in, regardless of how hard life is right now. If you just saw someone else and loved someone else, you would be surprised how refreshing that is. How joyful it is to be in the will of God. How amazing it is to share love. And you'll be surprised how amazingly you receive that love back. There's a quote out of the book called The Bait of Satan that I just finished reading by um, John Bevere. And there's a quote in there where he says, uh, those who plant the love of God will always, always reap the love of God. If you are out there loving people um, in a love that never loses hope, if you are out there loving people in a love that never gives up, if you are loving people in the love that never gets irritable and never gets tired, if you are loving people in that love, that love of God that is unfailing, you will always, always, always reap the love of God. But guess what? You probably won't reap that love from the very place that you're sowing it. And that was something very challenging for me uh, a few weeks, a few months ago when I was first learning this. Because I was, the Lord has been teaching me about love and I have been trying to love people better. And to get outside my comfort zone and to put down my own problems and to love people well and to see people. But I was loving people and I was feeling like I wasn't getting love in return from them. I was like, huh, I did, did this thing to try to show you that I love you but you kind of weren't that nice to me the next day, and that really hurt my feelings. And now old Kendall would have been like, all right, done with you, moving on to the next. But that's not who God calls us to be. And that's when I begin to realize, yeah, you know what? I may be loving this person, and they may not really truly be showing me love in a way that I receive it, but I can pick out five other people in my life who love me well, and I know they are a gift from God. If you are planting the love of God, you will always, always reap the love of God. And so today, um, in this place, if, if this story, if the story of the Samaritan woman is really, really, really resonating with you, which I hope that it is, I want you to know that this power that exists in, the, in, these, in these pages, in this story here, this power and this love is still available to you. This story for me is incredibly personal to me. Like I said, I was um, a young mom. I had Cam when I was 20, and I'm from Baltimore City in the East Coast. I'm from Maryland. And in Baltimore City, young black moms, young black teen moms is not, it's, it's like a normal thing. You see it all the time. And so when I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, it wasn't devastating that I was pregnant. I was devastated that, oh, that man, I just became another statistic. Crap. Dang it, I'm just a number now. That was how I felt when I found out I was pregnant with her, that all my dreams, all my hopes, and people treated me as such. I had family say, yeah, you know those dreams you had? Yeah, that's not going to happen. You know you wanted to finish college? Yeah, that's not going to happen now. Congratulations, you're now a statistic. And so I felt unseen, unloved, invisible, like I just faded into the background of all these other young black moms in the city who had given their lives away. But then something beautiful happened when Cam was really young. Jesus came into my life in a really powerful way. And this was one of the first stories that I read in the New Testament. And I was like, this is me. Jesus showed me that regardless of my past, 
regardless of what sin struggles I had, regardless of what I was struggling with then, regardless of the fact that I was depressed, regardless of the fact that I was a teen mom, that he saw me, that he knew me. He knew my whole, he knows. He knows what's in my heart. He knows what's in my past. He knows what things I still struggle with today. And he still died for me. That same power still exists in 2019. If you are in here today and this story is resonating with you because you're in a place where you feel like you're unseen, if you feel invisible, if you feel like you just kind of fade into the background, Jesus sees you. Jesus knows your, he knows your heart. He knows the dirtiest stuff about you, but yet he still died for you. He still is offering you eternal and living water if you would just reach out and accept him. And maybe you're in here and you've been following Jesus for a long time and you're like, yeah, I know Jesus sees me. This is awesome. And, and maybe you don't feel unseen. Maybe you feel loved by the community and you feel like you don't fade into the background. But let me encourage you that there are people even in this house who feel that way. There are people, I guarantee you know at least one person in your life who feels like they are not being seen. And it is a devastatingly hard place to live. And so those of us who have experienced the love of God and who have experienced the love of Christ, why won't we take the first step and say, hey, you know what, I see you. Invite that person out for coffee. Welcome them into your home and into your family. Just give them a hug. Let them know that they are seen and open up your life to relationship with them. First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 22 says, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply and with all of your heart. Love each other deeply and with all of your heart. Loving deeply and with all of your heart can mean a ton of different things. But we won't do it well if we don't ask the Holy Spirit to come in and help us. So let's pray. God, I thank you again for your word. God, I thank you for your love. God, I praise you because even though all of us in this place were sinners, that you sent your son for us, that even though you know our deepest, darkest, dirtiest secrets, you still love us. I thank you that your love and your power is still available to us today. God, would you help us to see your people? God, I pray right now that every single person in this room would have a name, a face, a place, something on their hearts where they can go in this week with eyes wide open, with spiritual eyes wide open to see someone who needs desperately to know that they are seen and loved by God. God, and would you fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us the boldness to act when we need to act and to love when we need to love. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So as you guys get ready to go, as you go to lunch, as you go about your week, I just leave you with these words. Love each other deeply and with all of your heart. Take a second before you go to look around the room. No, seriously, look around the room, y'all. <laughs> Don't assume because someone is in the house of God that they have experienced that love. And don't assume that someone is in the house of God that they don't need more of it. Let it, it can start here. It can be a little bit easier to start within this family, but don't let it stay here. I pray that before you guys leave, you would, choose, you would see someone across the room who you just want to hug. Just connect with them. Let them know that they are loved. So you're free to go, but love each other deeply and with all of your heart. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, anything at all, um, I'll be up front and Pastor Doug will also be up here. We're available. We believe in the power of prayer in this house. And if you're like me and you've been struggling with love and you really want to do better, you really need people who will link arms with you because it ain't easy. So know that we want to pray with you. So the altar is open, but you guys are also free to go.